Welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this encore episode of the podcast. This is off the showroom floor, nothing added. Probably, you know, the manufacturer assumed that the this type of uh, attack, while they may have understood that it could happen remotely and you could control the radio, probably didn't understand that that with a, a you know a bunch of work you could use what's in the, the actual head unit to you know gain access to physical control systems. If it's midsummer, it must be time for Hacker Summer Camp. The Black Hat Briefings Cybersecurity Conference kicks off tomorrow in Las Vegas. After a year that saw both Black Hat and the Companion DEFCON Conference postponed because of COVID, both will be back in person and online this year. And after a year interrupted by the pandemic, 2021 promises a return to something approaching normal if you can just look past the surging Delta variant COVID cases in and around Las Vegas. While Security Ledger gets ready for the conference, we're running an encore edition of the podcast and looking back at one of the most significant Black Hat presentations of all time, the 2015 demonstration of a wireless software-based attack on a 2014 Chrysler Jeep Cherokee by security researchers Chris Valasek and Charlie Miller. In this interview that first aired in July 2015, I speak with Chris, who was then the director of vehicle research at IO Active, about the work that he and Charlie did to develop their wireless attack that gave them remote control of the Cherokee, including braking, steering, and acceleration. The issue of vehicle cybersecurity is one that has taken on even more importance in the six years since this interview aired. For one thing, the role of software in modern vehicles has only grown. Software-based, hands-free, and autonomous driving features are now common in late model vehicles. In the meantime, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is investigating nearly three dozen crashes involving vehicles using driver assistance features. That makes this conversation all the more interesting. In it, Chris tells me about the work he and Charlie did to reverse engineer both the wireless Uconnect technology that is used to connect Chrysler vehicles to the internet and how they then jumped from Uconnect to the internal CAN bus that is used to control critical vehicle functions. The biggest obstacle to hacking a car, Valisex argued, may be the cost of the car itself rather than any technical impediment in the hardware or software that's running on it. Chris Valisek, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. It's great to have you. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Busy day today. I bet. So um, when did you guys start this uh, research and uh, why did you pick the Chrysler? Was it just that they had national advertisements talking about the Wi-Fi hotspots <laughs> in their cars? Um, so if you saw last year, Charlie kind of gave a sneak preview uh, at Black Hat where he, where he jailbroke the Jeep's head unit. So we started, this is a probably a year's worth of research. And what most people don't know is the research that we gave at Black Hat last year, where we did the survey of all the cars and their architectures, was really a precursor to this project. We spent a lot of time figuring out which car we wanted to try to hack because we wanted to be successful and didn't want to pick an arbitrary car. So that research uh, really led to uh, what car do we get? And... Um, Lo and behold, if you look at that list, the car we considered the most hackable was the Jeep Cherokee. So that's what we bought. 
Now, did you guys actually buy it with your own dough, or did your companies buy it, or did the government buy it for you to do this research as a public service? Star Stark Enterprises provided the car to us. Yes. The only Jeep Stark Enterprises is <laughs> Exactly. I know they had to deal with Audi, but they bought us a Jeep. <laughs> to read the Wired article, it sounds as if the Uconnect platform is the, is the linchpin in your attack and basically was what you compromised and then allowed you to more or less write to the to the can to the to the um, car network so you did you were able to connect via 4g and then launch an attack um, after compromising you connect just say a little bit more about you connect what is it uh, what does it do does it have an analog in in the non-automotive world and in, in the home networking or enterprise networking world yeah, you know, so the Uconnect system, uh, first I'll explain kind of how it worked. Um, if you saw the video, there's the portion in which we like turn the radio up and, and turn the air conditioning on. Those are features of the Uconnect system, which is the kind of infotainment and, and climate control operations of the vehicle. From there, though, you couldn't send messages on the CAN bus, and we actually had to uh, compromise and reprogram a separate processor that would permit us to do that. Uh, that that compromise and reprogramming that processor took us quite a long time, months to figure out how to do that. But generally, the Uconnect system is your infotainment. It all in one package. It has your screen, it has your maps, it has the cars built in in-car Wi-Fi, uh, the telematic system, the way it communicates over 3G. Um, so that Uconnect system is really uh, everything that that kind of gives you display and and communicates with the outside world. Okay, so you showed with Andy Greenberg blasting the music, putting up a picture of yourselves on the uh, in in dashboard uh, display. Also controlling the um, wiper fluid is that via Uconnect? No, uh, that that's actually sending can commands. So that's again something even as benign as uh, the windshield wipers was something that that took us quite a quite a bit of time to figure out. Is there a lack of logical or physical separation between the entertainment system and the CAN and, and other critical systems? Or is there separation that's there, but you two bypassed it? For the Jeep, there wasn't much separation there, but you know, it's two different processors. One that does the wireless communication, and then one that does the interaction with the in-vehicle uh, networks, the CAN network. They're essentially air-gapped, but they do communicate to a certain level, and we were figuring out how to use that communication to reprogram the chip that um, that communicates with in-vehicle networks. So, I, you know, there may be a, a concept of someone who purchased this equipment and was like, "Yeah, you can't communicate to the CAN bus from the wireless stuff. It's you know physically impossible." Where in reality, it's uh, a couple steps and some uh, hard work away from those communications. Does that make sense? You, in other words, you didn't have to add anything or or um, nope. install different components. This you only worked with what was on the car, and you're saying it wasn't easy. It took us months to reprogram that wireless chip, but it is possible, and because we could do it, other people could do it as well. Yeah, exactly. I, and that was one of our key points with this is I think the, you know, everyone's interested in automotive security, which is great, but most of the time uh, involves adding a certain piece to the vehicle where this is off the showroom floor, nothing added. Uh, probably, you know, the manufacturer assumed that the this type of uh, attack, while they may have, you know, uh, understood that it could happen remotely and you could control the radio, probably didn't understand that, that with a, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of work, you could use what's 
in the, the actual head unit to you know gain access to physical control systems. But this is a proof of concept, not really a practical attack. So I'm guessing that the process of reprogramming that CAN uh, processor um, would uh, be disruptive. It, it certainly wouldn't be something you could do while the car is uh, is operating. No, no, we can we can actually reprogram the CAN processor uh, in 30 seconds, uh, and the driver would only see the UConnect system kind of reboot real quick. And we've and we've done it while you know while driving and, and tested it. So you could you know you could you could do it, and essentially if if the driver's paying attention to the road, may not ever know that it happened. Wow. Okay. So that's so so it is something that you could do in the in in a live attack scenario without bricking the car or anything. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we, we we have bricked the car a few times, unfortunately, but that was our own fault, and uh, we learned from those mistakes. You're listening to an encore edition of the Security Ledger podcast. This episode featuring an interview with Chris Valasek of IO Active first aired in July 2015. What did you do when you bricked the car? How were you able to uh, restart it or, or get it back to us? Uh... So l- luckily, it only bricked the head unit, so you could still drive the car, just the radio wouldn't work. Um, and luckily for us, the car was under warranty, so Charlie would take it to the shop and say, my radio quit working, and they'd give him a new one. How many times did that happen? I think two or three. <laughs> <laughs> did anyone ever ask questions? Like, oh, that's No, uh, they were really nice. Uh, Charlie said they were great, and they just you know, replaced it, and that was that. One of the issues with the IoT is what like Dan Gear talks about is common mode failures. I mean, a lot of people talk about this, um, How which talk about just the you know, the security implications of using common elements, common components across different platforms. How different is the Chrysler, whether the Uconnect or the CAN, um, in terms of its makeup, you know, the hardware and software that runs it from other consumer-grade wireless networking or entertainment platforms? As, as you guys worked on it and looked at it, was it, okay, this is pretty similar to other stuff we've worked on, uh, or no, this is... This is, uh, you know, something that really somebody who is expert in, in cars and telematics would find their way around, but, but other people wouldn't know how to make heads or tails of it. Yeah, so um, to, to kind of show uh, what we're releasing, you know, we're going to release our huge paper, uh, 90 pages, that shows, you know, what we did. But we're leaving the piece out, which is the modified firmware. Uh, that we use to uh, send messages on the CAN bus because we don't really want anyone to have that. It took us months to figure that part out. Um, and we don't want to endanger anyone, obviously. I mean, you know, you of all people know we're not malicious guys. We're out there to, to kind of prove a point and, and show what's possible but not to harm anyone. Um, so, so right now it really takes a lot of expertise. I mean, this is an accumulation, honestly, of three years of work. Um, so this isn't some, something that someone's going to sit down and be like, hey, I know Android. I'm going to do all this stuff. Like it, it just takes a, a long time and a lot of expertise. Right now, that's not to say it won't change, but I, I don't know. And is that because the car company actually has taken you know, uh, adequate steps to uh, protect the can and critical systems within the car from tampering, or merely just that it's you know, new territory that uh, you and others are not familiar with? Yeah, it's just new territory. I mean, right now, you know, this is this is like hacking web browsers ten years ago, where everyone's just kind of learning how they worked and, and what you could do with them. So I think a lot of it now is the barrier of entry is high. I mean, buying cars is expensive. Luckily, we've been we've been afforded a few cars in our research, and uh, I think that's a lot of the reason why most people aren't uh, aren't aren't doing it. 
because it's new and expensive. But not it's not that uh, Chrysler erected a high barrier in terms of uh, uh, you know logical control or, or logical uh, protections or data protections that you guys just managed to scale over that. But it's it's a high barrier. Yeah, it's just a, just a high barrier right now. Um, I guess we could only say that for a couple of vehicles. I should make you know broad statements, but right now uh, the barriers aren't all that high, you just need to learn how all these systems work. And when you did that survey, when you looked across different makers and models, um, what types of things were you looking for? And how would you assess the rest of the, uh, let's see, consumer vehicle uh, fleet? Yeah, the survey was, we wanted to see what cars had a lot of cyber physical functions, right? Lane keep assist, assisted braking, things like that. Um, And also, we wanted to find something where the stuff that touched the outside world, whether it be Wi-Fi or cellular, also had what we thought at the time was direct communication with in-vehicle systems. So in the Jeep, the radio is on both CAN buses uh, as well. Uh, we later found out that it was you know, a couple separate processors, but it, it communicated with both portions without any intervention. Um, on the contrary, there were other vehicles that had a, a gateway-like device that appeared to pass messages between you know, things that communicate from the outside world and and inside stuff. I'm not saying those systems are perfect or can't be hacked, but from our 10,000 foot view, uh, they would have uh, provided an additional obstacle uh, to what we were trying to do. Um, So the Jeep really had all the stuff that we thought would give us the best odds at proving something like this was possible. What steps are you advising Chrysler and other automakers to take to make their vehicles more robust and resistant to this type of hacking? You know, this is a, it's a long process, and I think you're not going to have all the areas of expertise. These companies, at least to my knowledge, are relatively new in the software space, specifically software security. Forever they've been um, powerhouses of engineering, right? And they've developed a lot of cool engineering tech, but whether they like it or not now, they're also software companies and really need to employ or consult people that are software security experts when doing this type of engineering. Um, you know, that being said, w- you don't see improvements for a few years because the life cycles of creating automobile aren't a release you know, every six months, right? They, they have cars planned out years in advance. And, and once they're kind of planned out, it's hard to, to get them changed because they, you, know, you can't say, we're not releasing a Jeep this year, but we're going to fix it and release one next year. They don't have that liberty. Well, Microsoft can say Windows 10 is delayed another nine months and no one really cares. Right. No trustworthy computing memo in the uh, in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Not, not quite yet, but maybe soon, huh? <laughs> what have your um, interactions been both with Chrysler and with, I know um, Senator Markey is uh, supposed to be putting out something today addressing some of the issues that you guys raise. Uh, so both with Chrysler and other automakers, as well as with the lawmakers. Sure. Um, I actually had a, a quote for them uh, today on the release. Uh, and it basically just said, yeah, we agree that software robustness and security is an integral part to these new vehicles because we continue to connect them to greater things. Um, don't get me wrong. I think connectivity is great, and I like it. I like being able to unlock my car from my phone, uh, having in-car Wi-Fi, um, and having a button I can press for my concierge. That being said with this added connectivity um, comes more security risk and that needs to be thought about. Uh, additionally, uh, Charlie and I have been kind of pushing for the last couple of years of uh, systems in cars much like we have in your IT infrastructure that do 
logging, monitoring, detection, and, and possible prevention of attacks because um, it's it, right now there's there's very few indicators that uh, are useful to show that an attack occurred. Um, you know, for our example, you would have to take the Chrysler supplied firmware and compare it to the firmware that was on the system uh, at the time and have someone skilled enough to realize that they're different, right? Um, it would be nicer if you had mechanisms in the car that detected and at least logged uh, potential attacks. So we're hoping that, that manufacturers start adding things like that to their cars. I mean, the, the best example I think I can give is look at the iPhone, right? And Charlie was like one of the first guys to hack the iPhone, or the first guy to hack an iPhone or whatever. Um, you know, the initial iPhone, uh, didn't have any code signing, you know, had a web browser, all this stuff. And now it's one of the hardest things to hack on the planet, right? It takes a whole team of people, millions of dollars, to release the newest jailbreak. It's just an evolution and it takes time. iPhones weren't perfect when they came out, but, you know, what, what is it, 10 years later, you know, we have, we have pretty secure iPhones. Chris Valasek, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Security Ledger today. Hey, have a great week, okay? You too, Chris. Take care. Cheers. Chris Valasek is the director of vehicle research at the firm IOActive. He was talking with us about research he and his colleague Charlie Miller did on Chevrolet vehicles and the Jeep Cherokee. You've been listening to an encore edition of the Security Ledger podcast featuring an interview I did with Chris Valasek, uh, then of IOActive, back in July 2015.